0: hello hello everybody and welcome back today we are going to delve into something interesting um, in that we're going to look at some specific philosophers but if i had to give a general overview of the topic i guess i would say something like metaphysics of the pre-socratic philosophers
1: yes we're going to be uh, we're going to be doing something new, really. I don't think we have done this at least this way. Um, we're going to be analyzing pretty much the birth of philosophy, right? The way in which things uh, started for our discipline. And hopefully we'll do it in a way that is not just, you know, telling you the history of philosophy, but kind of uh, analyzing concepts.
0: Yeah, I mean, picking apart the ideas themselves, Um talking about influence um, and later ideas and yeah so i, I think i think it'll be good mm-hmm.
1: yeah uh, so should we start should we start with what i call the founder
0: <laughs> yeah and hold on wait I, I always think it's funny um that we have this label like the pre-socratics because socrates yeah. is like the equivalent of jesus
1: exactly right like we how have,
0: we have bc and ad we have the pre-socratics right and then socrates yeah. and then everyone else
1: yeah and it's interesting because there are actually comparisons later uh actually some some subintellectuals some have speculated that it is kind of the same uh fictional character right that Socrates is Jesus.
0: Yeah and I mean I always say that uh you know the 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 painting of the the Phaedo where he's going to drink the hemlock yeah. I always say that's like the philosopher's last supper. And exactly. you think of Socrates as kind of sacrificing himself for the principles uh, mm-hmm. when he gets sentenced to death. So a lot of parallels there. Interesting. But shall we begin now, with the founder?
1: Yes. let <laughs> with the founder. Um, so a few geographical things I think that are important. Okay. When this starts, where this starts. So this starts, obviously, everybody knows that this starts in Greece. Uh, truth is that geographically this little town called Miletus where the first philosopher um, actually operates and is born and lives Mm -hmm. is not in today's Greece it's actually in modern Turkey on the coast which Mm -hmm. was Greece back then but it's a little bit different and I think that's important because you get a little bit of this influence from the east uh, and the eastern philosophy that gets there somehow and Thales, that's the name of the founder is famous for having... People think that he studied uh, some Egyptian mathematics. He was able to predict um, you know, eclipses and able to, to invent things that had to do with irrigation because of his travels mm. east. So I think that he has a bearing on, on his way of thinking.
0: Yeah, and I mean, Thales is considered the first philosopher because he was concerned with you know, first principles and the mm-hmm. causes of things and like this is the kind of thing that aristotle talks about in the metaphysics and the thing about thales is that we just have this information given to us through other philosophers
1: yeah he doesn't write anything just like socrates they, it wasn't popular to write books i guess back then um and he's one is the first one that we have news of at least uh that's trying to to answer a very difficult question um, well, one of the questions he tries to answer, at least, is the one about what we call the principle, the real principle. Um, and by that, what he means is like trying to figure out what reality really is, right? What is reality made of? Mm-hmm. And uh, the the idea is that, you know, we look at reality and it seems so diverse, right? We have so many different things all around. But he thought, and some others will think the same after him, that there must be something underneath those differences that stays the same. Um, and today we call it this, the problem of the one and the many. Mm. Uh, that there, there are different kind of, of issues. And it's interesting. So first of all, I always say, let's think on when this happens, right? We have these people that start thinking about these very difficult questions. What is it, 2,700 years? Uh, yeah, like the 6th
0: century, yeah. Right, uh, sixth century BC. So he, he's
1: trying to grapple with this question. And even more interesting, this is happening when mostly people are answering questions mythologically, we can say. Mm. They're not using reason, uh, you know, almost piggybacking on, on our critical thinking episode. They're not using reason, they're not using this thing that the Greeks will call logos to understand certain things. All they're doing is, you know, again, there's a storm. Well, there must be Zeus that's pissed off, right? Mm-hmm.
0: It's the uh, mythos.
1: It's the mythos, right? Uh, and instead, we had this guy that starts thinking in a different way. So he is the the first philosopher, and he's known to have said some specific things about about this this substance that this principle, etc., everything else. I think that that's important. That's a that's an interesting thought, right? And at the end of the day, I don't think that's different from what we're trying to do, even today. What physics and chemistry and biology try to do, right?
0: Yeah, right. And these guys were just going one step beyond what would be the modern equivalent of that, right? That's that's the meta aspect. And this is why in Aristotle's work, The Metaphysics, um, he says, so philosophy, right, the love of wisdom, that wisdom is having knowledge of primary things. And these primary things are exactly what you're talking about. It's like these underlying principles or mechanics that structure reality. It's like be, it's because of these things that everything else is the way they are. And I always think about it, like I'll always explain it in class as think of the primary colors. Right. If you talk about paint, light stuff aside. Right. So mm-hmm. you have like red, yellow and blue and you call them primary colors because those things cannot be reduced down any further, right? Those are the basic ingredients of the cake, so to speak. And everything else, all the other colors, come out of different arrangements of those things. So when Aristotle, and who's you know, influenced by the pre-Socratics, and when all these guys are talking about primary things, they're like, what are those basic ingredients of reality from which everything else springs,
1: and the interesting thing is that at least these guys think that this uh, this primary uh, colors of reality are absolutely stable, right? They don't change. They need to be unchanging somewhat. And on top of it, these guys, specifically Talies, believes that it's to be something material. It's to be something physical that it's there, right? Something, again, that you can touch, we can say. Mm-hmm. Something material. It's not some thought. It's not something that can that can change. But it's the substance that is behind everything, uh, which is interesting again, uh, because it's in a way it's a form of materialism, isn't it?
0: Yeah, and and if you think about Aristotle's four causes, it's like the the material cause, um, mm-hmm. and what Thales talks about is that most basic material cause, and it's very funny. You know, it's it's only the philosophers the crazy people that people think think about these things right because there's yeah. this this funny story about Thales where he's walking and he's just so busy looking at the sky and thinking about the mechanics of reality that he just falls into a well right and so the yeah. idea is you're so concerned with the quote-unquote heavens that you lose grip with you know what's right in front of you and, and I feel like this is such a this supposedly true story holds true for criticisms of philosophers today
1: absolutely um before we get into the specific element that he believes the specific principle that he believes is underneath everything and why he believes what it is i think there are other there are a couple of more aspects about thales that we rarely think about so he's famously said something like all is full of gods as well right yes uh, he is this this with this idea of pantheism pretty much and mm. probably we can talk about this a little bit more and he also has a specific idea of what a soul is uh he, he he thinks apparently he thinks that magnets have souls mm-hmm. because they make things move right and everything that moves or that makes things move needs to have a soul so the soul seems to be for him the principle of movement yes. right which is which is interesting uh, because again we don't think that way. We think that everything—not everything—that moves as a soul, right? What uh, instead he would think that, and well, the caveat is what soul is for for Thales is probably not what it is for us, right?
0: Yeah, it's kind of like the locus of change. Maybe you can mm-hmm. think about it like that. And so, when you tie this into what we were saying earlier, Thales is someone who thinks that reality is ultimately composed of one substance right one type Mm -hmm. of thing however if he's also including motion and cause and change in it this one thing has to also account for change so it's something Mm -hmm. that at once is one but it can become a a certain type of many so it has to be malleable right because it's not just exactly one thing it's one type of thing that could take on different modes or forms
1: Mm-hmm. and of course this thing if we think about it, something that's malleable that's material, that can take different shapes and forms it comes out to be something that's liquid, for example right, mm-hmm. will have this this abilities and since they didn't have Coca-Cola back then <laughs> uh, uh, the natural thing to think about is water, right mm-hmm. uh, and that's what he thinks about it. but he, he has this reasoning which is really interesting. So he thinks, he says something like, well, if you think about it, everything that we use to eat, everything that's nutritious is humid. And humidity is a sign of water. So water has to be the principle of life. Everything ends up in there, right? Everything is there. And there are two things that are important. Aside from this specific uh, explanation, right? This is the first time that we see somebody, as I was saying as we were saying before, that tries to rationally explain, that finds a rational motivation for something. Because somebody uh you know, when studies tallies, it's easy to say, oh, he's still kind of thinking uh mythologically. Because ocean, right? Mm-hmm. It was the this Titan that was the the father of everything. So he's saying water. But no, it is a rational idea that he has. This rational idea is everything is humid. Without water there is no life. So this has to be the principle of everything. This has to be this this thing that stays the same, right?
0: Yeah, there's this idea that like seeds, right? The the kind of mm-hmm. how would you say basis of life always rep- has a kind of moistness, right? Yeah. The philosophers back in the day, you know, whether it's the pre-Socratics or even in the medieval, like they always talked about moistness, right, as something yeah. like uh life and vivacity. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so Thales thought it was moistness, water. All this stuff went together, and it it kind of makes sense if you think about things in terms of like, all right, let's let's pretend we live in a time where we're, we are switching from the mythos to the logos, right? We're switching from this view of things in terms of, like, models of what should be, and then we base reality on these models of, like, value and what should be in the mythological representation to these, quote-unquote, objective descriptions of what is. And if you're just starting out and and you're like, all right, let me try and find something that encompasses everything, Let me let me keep an eye out for different commonalities and see if there are any universals that govern other particulars, you look at water and you recognize like, oh not only is water in all living things and essential to even non-living things it takes the shape of whatever it exists within, so like right now you guys can't see but I'm holding a cup and the water takes the shape of the cup and if I had a pitcher that had a different shape, it would take the shape of a pitcher so if you look at it 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 really does seem to be a good starting point for something that is at once one thing, but that takes many different forms.
1: Absolutely, and he, he is convinced that you know. There's another fragment that you know, it's reported. Of course, again, he doesn't write anything. So uh, that he used to say that he think uh, that everything comes and, hand, and ends in water. Mm. Everything comes from it, and everything ends in it which is also interesting and uh think of think of when a baby is born right that what comes out it comes out of the sack where there is fluid yeah What they thought it was water right uh or think of again you were talking about seeds actual seeds how do they germinate when do you start seeing things when you add mm-hmm. water to it right so there are many reasons why he thought of that um and i think it's not again it's easy nowadays to think that this was a naive answer, right? Mm-hmm. But I think that the, it has its importance uh, from different perspective. The first one being again this rational motivation that he gives to his reasoning, which pretty much starts philosophy. Here is the birth of philosophy. But at the same time, I think that there is a value in starting this conversation about what really is. In opposition to what it appears to be, and I think that that's that's fundamental. That's today more than ever, right? Uh, Is important, and I again, and I and all this wouldn't be here without tallies.
0: Yeah, and I mean it's not, it's not at all crazy because, like, if you you if you are hearing this for the first time, right, and you have no. I don't know maybe you're approaching this skeptically and you're like oh water that's stupid this is this like proto element mm-hmm. e- proto elemental explanation but if you t- substitute water and now you might be like but that's not what thales said but bear with me if you remove water and just make it like an x right like an empty variable you're left with this idea that reality is composed of one thing that takes many different modes and I mean, now you're talking about Spinoza, and you're talking about property dualism, and you're talking yeah. about all these things. And so it's like, this is the first philosopher, and he already came up with this thing.
1: Absolutely. And on top of it, I always make this example. I mean, we're not that far off. We're still looking for this element. And somebody says matter, whatever whatever that is. Somebody says it's energy. Somebody says it's subatomic particles. Mm-hmm. But they're still looking for that simple element. And as you say, if you make it into an X... The reasoning is already there, which is the content that's changing. Um, and I think that that's valuable, very valuable. I don't think, again, the kind of scientific inquiry that we have today has a great, great depth to, mm-hmm. to, to Thales, um somewhat. Um, and I and I think that with all the pre-Socratics, we're going to find something that is valuable even today, right?
0: And let me so let me ask you: What do you think of this basic idea that everything is made of one, but that this one takes on different modes?
1: So uh, that's an interesting question. I think that it is this the monism aspect of it, right? Which is this idea that everything is made out of one. Um, it's interesting, and I think that. Generally speaking, uh, I don't think that's a bad idea at all. <laughs> Actually, I think that if you believe this, if you think that this is a way and you're able to to kind of prove and make your argument that this is the way things really are, there are certain the way in which we live our life can be changed radically mm. because all of a sudden, if I realize that we are that everything is Let's say related, right? But it's in this case, it's more than related, right? We are made of the same thing. Which means that literally, we, are, we share a nature. We share something, right? Mm. Then certain things that we do, the way we behave uh, with each other, human beings, but even the way in which we treat whatever surrounds us, it's got to change, right? Because mm. all of a sudden... I'm not, uh, I'm going to make a a silly example. I'm not littering the planet, right? I'm not throwing garbage on something that it's just a recipient or uh, a receptacle, rather, or something that I walk on. But all of a sudden, I'm throwing garbage on myself, right? I'm Mm, throwing garbage on, on who I am. then all of a sudden, I don't know, whatever issue, whatever environmental issue you can think of, it's not just a remote thing. It's not just something that has to do with a piece of reality that's separated from me. But all of a sudden, it has to do with me, my intimate nature. And the same thing can go with even, I don't know, uh, we have talked about this, dietary issues, right? Dietary choices mm-hmm. at the same time. Um, so, yeah, I don't, think, I don't think that's out of the question to, to believe this, to think that this might actually be a good thing, a good, a good idea.
0: Yeah, and I mean, um, contemporary physics is based on a version of this idea. Like, I wouldn't say it's exactly the same, but, you know, the example you gave, I think of that is it that, that famous, like, Carl Sagan quote about, like, oh, I am stardust, right? And everything is made of the mm-hmm. same thing. So you look at nature with this kind of reverence. And I think the interesting thing about this type of monism is that on the one hand, there is um, an underlying static element because it's the one thing and it's never not the one thing and which in this case is water but maybe it's something else mm-hmm. however within this the like static underlying foundation there is something that's not quite static there's the change mm-hmm. so in a way this is already um like a solution to like radical monism because it manages to kind of put together a monist thing with some kind of pluralistic overtones, right? So, I mean, a funny thing you could say is that Thales just solved <laughs> philosophy before philosophy started.
1: <laughs> and I'm thinking, like, you know, uh, you mentioned Spinoza before. It's, you know, there's the substance and the modes, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's kind of, and it, and it's interesting because, again, as you say, there's this idea of of st- Static, a static element, but at the same time presents itself in dynamic ways. Um, And I think that this is the the interplay that there is between reality and appearance, right? At the end of the day, if we had to be... It's going to sound paradoxical, right? But... So Thales is convinced that what is really real is the static thing, right? And then we had the appearance... That is ever changing from a certain perspective, mm-hmm. but the truth is that this ever changing thing it's also part of reality
0: mm-hmm.
1: so reality with capital R seems to be partially the sum of the real principle, the substance, whatever stays underneath water fertilis, plus or the thing all the things that are that appear to be very different from each other this is th- because those things are not. And I think this is important to understand. It's not saying when we say appearance, we don't say something, some things that are like fake, Mm. but they don't really exist. Right, right. They do exist. They just not. the. They they are. They appear to be in a way, but in reality, they're another way. Like
0: as Kant would say, an appearance has to appear from something.
1: Exactly. They they are like they are there and we're not. um, we are deceived, if you want, regarding their nature. But all their characteristics that we experience, they are there. Mm. Right? It's not that all of a sudden I'm saying that the computer that I have in front of me, well, it's not real because I should, if I would see the real thing, I could see like this piece of water, whatever that means, right?
0: <laughs> piece of water. I'm going to start saying that. I love that. <laughs> but... uh
1: but it means that uh, those perceptions that I have are really me are really telling me something are really are really presenting themselves to me uh, more or less the way I perceive them from my perspective right uh but it means that again there is another level of reality that can be discovered behind that that's also there and that's more fundamental yes. and I think that understanding this uh can be useful in other aspects of our life right understanding that and this is something that uh that i think uh goes right to your alley there oh let's uh, hear it <laughs> i think i think that you know sometimes we feel certain things we have some feelings regarding some some things that happen to us or some things that we um the the which we might be passionate or not some things that happen to us We might feel in a certain way towards those things. And this is the appearance, right? Mm. Those things are now fake. You're really feeling, I don't know, happy about something or offended about something that somebody says, right? But the truth is that if we understand that there is a level, which is this level of appearance, that it's there, there are those feelings, but then there is a more fundamental level that has nothing to do with that, that is telling you, that that it indicates what the real thing is, what the fundamental thing is, Mm. then you have the ability of of having these two thoughts together in your head, right? Of, Hey, this is this is offending me, but wait a minute. But there is this thing that it's important. And even if he hurts me, maybe I should still consider it. I should still try to figure this out.
0: Yeah. I always, like when we talk about uh, appearance and reality in class, I think it's tough because on the one hand, you could talk about appearance like you're talking about it as it's part of reality it's just not the most fundamental part because how could it not be part of it because it's happening right like if it wasn't part of it it couldn't happen exactly and then there's the other version which says like oh you know mere appearance appearance has no bearing on reality and i think that's a much harder position to prove um i i tend to lean towards the first one like you're saying and when i talk about this in class i always just think of a this Radiohead lyric uh, in the song There There on Hail to the Thief where we uh, say, just because you feel it doesn't mean it's there. And mm-hmm. I, I think the way to make this more specific to philosophy is something like, just because you feel it doesn't mean it's there in the underlying foundational principles of reality. Exactly,
1: <laughs> exactly. because again, it's hard, uh, it's hard to tell people that what they're seeing and they're touching to go to the reality aspect of things, right? Uh, But if we want to continue the conversation the way we're having it, it's hard to tell people that what they're feeling is wrong because they're feeling it.
0: Right. Yes, There's
1: nothing wrong in feeling that way. Right. Uh, Sometimes. What is, (laughs) but it is, it is important that we understand that the feeling of something is not the most fundamental reality of that something
0: like there needs to be something underlying that provides the condition for the the possibility of that thing right and like you're when you're talking about truth or reality it's like you're talking about that matching up between the said thing or the felt thing and that underlying condition i guess
1: yeah and it's again it's really hard because again i'm trying to think of an example that can that can work this way um I don't know, broccoli for kids might not feel good, right? Yeah. It smell, uh, look, it smells horrible when you cook it, right? If you're boiling it, uh, it has this fuzzy appearance. If you think you could put it in your mouth, you're like, ugh. These weird little bally flower things. Yes. Yeah, so why am I putting this overgrown carpet in my mouth <laughs> that smells like horrible, right? Yeah. But the appearance of this... Doesn't give you the reality that then when you put it in your mouth, it actually doesn't taste that bad. And on top of it, it's good for you. It's
0: pretty good. And actually it's funny that you bring this up. I don't know if you could see it in the background, oh. but um hold on, let me focus the camera. There's like Well, no one's gonna see this. But anyway, do you see these <laughs> yellow flowers in the background? Yeah. That's yeah, yeah. that's broccoli. Side oh, note oh, you go. because <laughs> when when we were at the garden, we like Claire didn't take her, her broccoli down at the winter because it it just got okay. too cold. And so, so she left her. It up. Yeah and then we came back in the spring and broccoli if it doesn't grow into broccoli fuzzy carpets as you're saying it turns into <laughs> these like pretty beautiful yellow flowers flowers yes yeah. yes side note uh,
1: but it's right that's that's the idea that's understanding how things really are without dismissing uh, the what people feel i think that's important but this again talis is the one that's telling us mm. that for the, for the first time i think through this idea of appearance and reality and water and malleability of stuff. Uh, there are going to be philosophers that are more strict with this. That they say, nope, that's only reality that stands there. Mm. This appearance thing is bad for you. So, uh, but. Uh,
0: but I'm thinking, but like, I'd, I was trying to hone in on how exactly you would formulate, like, the basic metaphysical system here, because we mm-hmm. were, we met, I had mentioned, you had mentioned Spinoza. I was also thinking, I mentioned property dualism, so like Chalmers, where there's the one that could have different modes. And I'm wondering, you know, if someone's like, well, can you differentiate it from those things? And I would probably say something like this. Like, it is to be determined if the Thales principle is A or B. And A would be, there is one type of thing. And within that one type of thing, there could be many different forms But the forms all happen within that one type. So Mm. so the one thing takes the shape of many different things of that type. And that would be like the more monistic version, I would say. And then you might say, well, perhaps you could mean something like you have a basic one type of thing. And it takes on not only different forms within that one type, but actually it could take on different Modes where there's like subtypes of the type, and that's the more Spinoza or the more Chalmers. And I, I I'm kind of interested in in seeing maybe where you think the the Thales principle lies, and that first one or that second one.
1: I think that if we had to be faithful to what he seems to say, is the first one. I agree. Um, then we can use. I think that then people like Chalmers, probably not consciously, but. Somebody like Spinoza, probably, he has in mind this Tali's principle, and is modifying it. Right?
0: Mm. Uh,
1: the 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 philosophical better the philosophical discussions eventually takes this and, and he modifies in a way that arrives to Spinoza, that arrives to uh, to Chalmers. But I think that in his original intent, Tali think, is thinking about the first one that you're saying. And again, the. the this principle is material. I'm going to say it's it more materialistic, more. yeah. It's it is absolutely materialistic. I think that the counter uh philosopher uh at the beginning uh and we're not going to I think I don't remember actually if this is um uh, historically accurate because I think that Heraclitus or Heraclitus mm. we're going to say it in two different ways here. Mm-hmm. Uh might be contemporary of Pythagoras which is the other guy which we want to talk about or I think maybe Heraclitus might be older than Pythagoras but I don't know
0: yeah he's a little bit older they overlap a little bit
1: gotcha so I was I was correct good news yeah. I still remember this stuff <laughs> um, I think is the 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 counter to Thales, mm-hmm. right because Heraclitus is famous for something else He's famous for so he kind of goes along with uh, with Thales and and uh, the the Milesians, which is the school that eventually develops from Thales. Even though they're like independent uh, thinkers, they all reason the same way. Uh, and we can say that Thales. I want to say that the first observation that Thales must have made is it has to be reality so diverse. Everything seems to be always changing. Everything is always different there must be something specific that stays the same aka water for tallies mm-hmm. right and i think that noting this change is also the thing that arakotos does of course uh you notice this universal uh dynamism we can say of reality everything nothing is ever the same right mm. people age trees grow water flows uh Even rocks change throughout time, right? So you notice kind of the same dynamism that it is in reality. And instead of putting, instead of saying, well, there must be something that stays the same, he thinks that exactly this constant change is this element that we had to find that's underneath. That's what constitutes reality. Mm -hmm. And famously in Greek he says re," right? everything flows, everything changes.
0: Yeah, and so first of all, I would like to point out that when I said they were... He was older, that was not me having knowledge. That was me looking at a a diagram because I am not an expert on this historical stuff. So we're on the same page. You probably are better than me at this. Um, But yeah, with So Heraclitus, Heraclitus, be the white person, say that. Um, Yeah, he has this, this saying that later... Became like the Pocahontas saying, right? Where you yeah. can never step <laughs> in the same river twice because new yes. water is always rushing in. So, in one sense, there is this reversal of the principle of oneness because we're replacing it with the principle of change, which I guess is like perpetual plurality or something yeah. like that, right? And I mean, if you think about that, do we think that is more or less justified? Because certainly things change in appearance right like mm-hmm. nothing is static in appearance so maybe i don't know maybe this is more accurate
1: well and i think that he's still making the difference between appearance and reality here but he's reversing it because he's kind of telling us well you think you're stepping in the same river
0: true yes
1: that's the appearance but the reality is that everything is always changing, so it's kind of reversing the principle completely here. Yeah, that the ch- the the, st- the static aspect is the appearance, while the constant flow, the constant dynamica of reality, that is what it
0: is. It's kind of paradoxical. You,
1: yeah, you think that you're still the same Anthony that you were five minutes ago, <laughs> but you're not. Because five minutes ago, you didn't know that Heraclitus was older than Pythagoras. not because this, that's out, true, this that's added true. thing, right? Uh, but, but, you know, aside from that, I think that that is what he's doing. He's mm. reversing, he's putting on his head pretty much, tally stuff. Um, and I think this is, again, uh, aside from Pocahontas, right? This is a very interesting idea, the fact that everything is always changing. Because he poses real questions and real and and puts us in in front of specific difficulties when we think about reality that way Hmm. Uh, I always you know when we talk in class about this sometimes then I like to have the students think about something that if he is right we are making all sorts of mistakes all the time I'm yelling at my kid because of something that he did like two hours ago And I didn't find out until now. Now I'm yelling at him. But he's not the same person anymore. So I'm being unfair to Mm. him, right? Or even more seriously, we keep people in jail for years and years and probably the person that committed that crime is not there anymore and I'm punishing somebody else. Mm -hmm. Because again, if we take what he's saying seriously, then there are the serious questions. It's not just ethical, even, you know, even metaphysical. Um, are you in love with the same person that you were before? It's are you are even you the same to, person? You know, ex- are you married to the same person? And it's is your wife married to the same person? Are you the same? Mm. These are not I, again the question of personal identity that come with this. It's they're not exactly silly questions.
0: I think. No, I mean they persist to this day. And I, I used to show what was this website like existential comics where they'll they'll make fun little comics of different philosophical ideas and i think the first one was about like a guy who recognized that each day he was actually a new person and he was like this community right and so he was like i don't know how would you say this i, I without getting into that because i'm now i'm like screw myself up but <laughs> the thing about this uh heraclitus idea of everything is change, you can't step into the same river twice, is somewhat, I don't want to say confusing to me in itself, but I want to say it's confusing because he he has other fragments. Well, other people say he has other fragments, which say things that almost go against that. And I'm not sure Mm -hmm. how to rectify that. Like, for example, he says the thing about the river, right? But then Mm -hmm. he also says, we step into and we do not step into the same river, we are and we are not. And I'm like, what does that mean?
1: Um, so that we step and we don't step in the same river? It, it literally, it's literally talking about stepping into something. Mm. And he has to do with the fact that there's these other fragments where he says things like um, that everything is always in conflict and everything is and is not at the same time. Right. Um, that everything is not, uh, that everything is, everything is everything else because everything is always changing again. If you think about it, mm-hmm. if everything is always changing, that means that, and well, premise. For the Greeks, there's one thing that's the worst thing conceptually that can exist, which is this idea of uh, the infinite. Mm. Nothing can be infinite. Infinite is bad, right? The pyron, op- is that the word? That that's well. That is indeterminate. Okay, okay. But for for the Greeks, the universe needs to be finite, because it doesn't make any sense for them if it will be infinite. Yeah. So everything has to be finite. Now, think of it in these terms: if matter, if all the, if everything is contained into this finite universe, right, and everything is always changing. We're always sharing the same qualities Mm. over and over again. So everything is and is not at the same time.
0: You know, it's so weird because I feel like you can formulate change either way because one formulation of change and plurality is precisely the infinite, right? Because it's perpetual things happening, difference, difference, difference. There's just infinite. But then this seems to be if it's functioning within the the typical framework of like we don't like unlimitedness um yeah. then it's a it's kind of a limited change it's change happening within an unchanging framework and maybe this is kind of a, a Thales component to him
1: yeah no absolutely he still he still is um a monist if you want right because then he will say that the principal everything is fire at the end of the day yeah, right yeah
0: fire and logos
1: yes which are, is this ever moving thing right mm-hmm. uh, but they are both finite at the end of the day mm. and he has this interesting aspects to him uh, again he's famous for the Pantaray stuff that everything flows and stuff but he also famous um, because of this contradictions. so his nickname is the obscure one so you're not alone in thinking that he is mm-hmm. uh, is not exactly clear and I agree with that um, but it's also true that uh, is the one that puts in motion again another motion that goes on here, uh, puts in motion an idea that will arrive at least till Hegel, right? Hmm. This idea that ob- opposite kind of touch, that opposite things are the same, this idea that things in order to make sense uh, need to come from contrasting positions. Uh, and he says this. Uh, he has this this idea that everything is always in conflict. He says mm-hmm. uh, there's this fragment uh, that that he has like war is the mother and the queen of all things. Mm-hmm. Is the mother and the queen of all things? That doesn't mean he's not talking about necessarily war. War, right? Uh, even though this sounds like uh, some some sentence uh, <laughs> that, that might interpret it by by somebody that that's justifying war or whatever, right? But right he's thinking of contrast he's thinking of conflict that eventually needs to be resolved in one way or another he says the conflict leads and brings harmony mm. for example
0: um i was thinking of that exact fragment because i was looking over that and like again I, this is I, we don't usually look over things like this but i had to do it for these guys and the the fra- this actually is in nicomachean ethics where this idea that what is opposed brings together the finest mm-hmm. harmony, right? It's composed of things at variance and everything comes to be in accordance with strife, like you're saying.
1: Exactly. And uh, and what's interesting is, so this is a position, that, so I actually like Heraclitus a lot. Mm-hmm. And if you know me philosophically a little bit, you can see why. Oh,
0: yeah, you love because because <laughs> fire is like plurality.
1: Yeah, right? Uh, at the same time, though, there is this thing that I disagree with that is the core well, his philosophy if you want this idea that opposing things give meaning to each other
0: mm, and i do agree with that so that's weird I,
1: ex- exactly right so he's saying that things like you know you appreciate health because you know sickness mm-hmm. you appreciate food because you starve mm-hmm. uh, you're able to to tell what's sweet because you know what's what's bitter and so on uh and we have had this discussion, me and Anthony, before. Yeah, yeah. Uh, And I disagree with this, while he does agree. Uh, and he is, again, Eractus is saying this, and I don't. I'm not sure that I, again, that I agree with this. Uh, but again, this idea is central to him, and eventually leads, at least here, even though there are differences, there, it leads theoretically to the dialectic a uh, movement of reality that will become with Hegel. but You guys don't need to hear about that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I remember one time we had a student come to something, and uh, he came to me, and he was like, you know, I found this book. It was called The Phenomenology of Spirit, and then I told you that, and you were like, don't open that book. <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, which is funny because I'm actually, I, I'm not opposed to, to reading Hegel. Uh, I, don't, I don't think it's that bad, as bad as it sounds. At least some
0: of Oh, yeah, no, there's definitely things I, I'm, I'm into in it. I think it's a matter, we kind of explained this one day. We said, you said with Kant, you want more. But with Hegel, yeah. you want less. Less. Right, and that definitely. totally makes sense. Um, yep. So it appears as though with Heraclitus, there's an aspect that you like, and that's the one I don't like. And then the aspect I like is the one that you don't like. So that's super interesting.
1: So, uh, but let me ask you a question. So what do you think... Uh, why is it that you don't like this idea of the constant flow uh, of, of things? What is it that doesn't work there for you? Because uh, I know what I, why I like it. but and Do you think that – and, an and I have an idea why you don't – and I have an idea why you might not like it. Okay. And, and I'll reveal that after you say it. Wait, wait. It can we say. play
0: a game? <laughs>
1: sure. Go ahead. I think
0: you should go first. Why do you think that I don't like it?
1: Because it lends itself somewhat uh, to a relativistic interpretation of life in the universe.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's, that's basically uh, the conclusion <laughs> I would draw. If I were to, add, to things, add things to that, though, I would say... Let me think about this. Um, on a more abstract level, I don't think things could happen not inside of something. So, I am partial to the idea that even change has to happen within some static unity, even if the static unity is an abstraction. Um, mm. And I think you need that. And I know, like in meetings we've had, um, when we talked about something not exactly the same but related, uh, space and we talked about this idea of like dividing space and dividing space and dividing space and you landed on this idea that no it is infinite and we just stop at arbitrary points and yes. i was very much like no <laughs> i think there is an absolute <laughs> end to a thing it is not arbitrary so i think yeah i mean i think ultimately that's why i'm opposed to this i think that is at heart the the distinction for me and and Mm -hmm. you on like a basic metaphysical level is that i think there is some one thing that binds the Mm -hmm. things together and this provides a ground as like for the conditions for everything to happen and i think it provides a ground for something like um objective reality although when i say that i don't mean it in the way the scientist would say it necessarily
1: i was thinking that's interesting because the way you word it, it sounds like you are a monist because mm. you say there's one thing uh i, I i'm I'm,
0: I'm i am sympathetic with this like property dualism thing that uh chalmers works with and that i, I suppose you could say happens from with spinoza like that there is a mm-hmm. thing and then it manifests in different types and i think for me um the, the different types don't come from nowhere. There's like some commonality between the types, which is why I'm like, no fire. <laughs> and I
1: think, though, that uh, it's interesting because I don't think we are that far from each other. Because I also think that there is one thing. Okay. I just, I just think that it's not static. That's all.
0: Mm, okay, this I, is an I'm, interesting question. If there could be a one thing that's not static
1: i would say i would think that there is Hmm. i mean my watch is one thing right Mm -hmm. but it keeps on moving it's not static
0: do you think so i was going to ask you is there something underlying the change to which you would reply i assume the watch is that right uh, and my question would be what is that
1: but you again to make maybe a better example right if you think of a star, uh, if you think about the sun, right, mm-hmm. it is one thing, but we know that it is not static, right? There are always things. There's always those, I don't know. Or if you think about lava inside a volcano, right, mm-hmm. it's there. It's this one thing, but it's always moving. It's never. It's never s- static. Hmm. And I, we have had this. Co- maybe we're going off on a tangent here. But uh, it's good. We have had this. We have had this conversation before, and I always say uh, that. The only things that are static are dead. <laughs> so th- there's the only thing that don't move, that don't, don't have any, any, uh, dynamicity to it, are things that are not anymore. They're literally dead.
0: Hmm. Okay, so I absolutely would like to continue this because um, I'm having a lot of <laughs> questions and ideas, and I think once we hash those out, that'll actually push us into some Other pre Socratics. Um, But I think we got to stop for now. But this is something to look forward to in in the next episode.
1: (laughs) All right. See you later. See ya.